0: A few of you know that um, I have become a big fan of The Daily. The Daily comes out each weekday. It's a free podcast, and once you download the app and sign up for it, uh, it shows up every weekday uh, for your listening pleasure. It's hosted by Michael Barbaro. 20 minutes each day, you get some really important and fresh insights on the pertinent news from the whole world. Michael Barbaro writes for the New York Times and on the Daily he simply calls up his colleagues around the world who also write for the New York Times and he gets their insights and their perspectives on from those who are working on the hottest stories. You get a great conversation and you get keen insights into the latest news. It's fascinating, it's fun and it is so informative. Today's Word of the Week emerged from a recent podcast on The Daily. Even with the news of terror attacks, and even with the news of Senate hearings, and who said what to whom, and even with continuing worries about Russia, and much more, Michael Barbaro presented on The Daily a piece on death. He called up his New York Times colleague, Catherine Porter, who had written a story about a man named John Shields. John Shields lived in Victoria, British Columbia, Canada. And the story is about Canada's new law that allowed medical assistance in dying. That's what the law called. M-A-I-D, Medical Assistance in Dying. Here's the opening of the story. Two days before he was scheduled to die, John Shields roused in his hospice bed with an unusual idea. He wanted to organize an Irish wake for himself. It would be old-fashioned with music and booze, except for one notable detail. He would be present. The party should take up a big section of Swiss chalet a family-style chain restaurant on the road out of town. Mr. Shields wanted his Last Supper to be one he so often enjoyed on Friday nights when he was a young Catholic priest, rotisserie chicken legs with gravy. And then his family would take him home, and he would die there in the morning, preferably in the garden. It was his favorite spot. Before he got sick, Mr. Shields liked to sit in his old Adirondack chair and watch the bald eagles train their juveniles to soar overhead. He meditated there twice a day among the towering Douglas firs. So that's where he wanted to die, in his garden. Tormented by incurable disease, John Shields knew that dying openly and with Out fear could be his legacy. His legacy if his doctors and his friends and his family helped him. Mary Oliver has that pressing question in one of her poems Tell me, what is it that you plan to do with your one wild and precious life? John Shields wanted to die as well as he had lived. With dignity and grace, surrounded by love and striving to share love and leaving the world a better place. What could be more meaningful than planning the end of your life, he asked. So that was the plan. He decided that the time had come with his increasing pain and his decreasing cognizance. As it turned out, it was too problematic to take him from the hospice center to his specific restaurant. It was too problematic for him to go home to the garden. We can't always get everything, right? So he got his friends and he got his loved ones to come to the hospice center, and they arranged a party around him. It was a bit awkward at first, this so-called party. Everyone was sad. Everyone was uncertain. But they shared John's favorite meal. And then they started sharing from their hearts. One after another, proclamations of love. One after another, admiration. Expressions of gratitude. They thanked their host for opening the door for them when they were brokenhearted. They thanked him for his friendship. They thanked him for his courage. And time and again, Mr. Shields acknowledged and thanked each speaker and doled out some tailor-made insight or joke to lighten the mood. When a former colleague planted a goodbye kiss right on his lips, he unleashed more laughter with a quip. I was just thinking I'd like a little bit more of that. (laughs) And then he said, uh, I know that's not a good idea. Clearly, it was sacred time, full of honor, full of ritual, full of love, with a wonderful litany, worshipful litany of affirmations about friendship and courage and the purpose of living. He thanked his friends one more time. And when they came to their death, he said he hoped they could be as happy as he was. I'm welcoming, welcoming you all to sing it with joy, he said. The next morning, as planned, the doctor came with the appropriate drugs. And with just his closest loved ones next to him in a circle around his bed, they set a small altar of some important items to his journey. They lit candles. They covered him with a blanket. And the doctor invited uh, Mr. Shields to go to the light. He gave her a thumbs up. And they shared in various words and readings for a few moments, including the prayer of St. Francis Lord, make me an instrument of thy peace where there's hatred. Let me sow love where there's injury, pardon. And on it goes. And then at the right time, the doctor gave him the drugs, and he went into a deep sleep. And it took just 13 seemingly painless minutes for his death to come. John Shields' final days and his desire to die well, including the words spoken during his final supper, including... Uh, the, the description of his final moments there around his bed all of this seem so full of grace seem so full of a wonderful sacredness we don't usually deal with this subject very well death in fact how many of you saw the word of the week and thought oh no not sure about that. Somebody this week asked me what I was preaching on. This is not a member of our church family. Asked me what I was preaching on this Sunday. I told them the word of the week was death. They raised an eyebrow and said, really? Is your congregation that old? But then I chimed in and I said, well, the word is death, but the subject is really life. Living and trusting God, especially in the face of death. The word is death. It happens to all of us. But the emphasis is on living and life beyond death because whether we live or whether we die, we belong to God. Faithful people live with confidence and courage in the face of death. Faithful people know that death is part of life and we live not fearing death but loving and serving and trusting God. Let's look together at this passage from 1 Corinthians 15. You've had a glimpse of it from the anthem today. This is what it says. Now, if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say there's no resurrection of the dead? If there's no resurrection of the dead, then Christ has not been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our proclamation has been in vain and your faith has been in vain. We're even found to be misrepresenting God because we testified of God that he raised Christ whom he did not raise, if it is true that the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, then Christ has not been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. Then those also who have died in Christ have perished. If for this life only we have hoped in Christ, we are all people most to be pitied. But in fact Christ has been raised from the dead the first fruits of those who have died for this for since death came through a human being the resurrection of the dead has also come through a human being for as in for as all die in Adam so all will be made alive in Christ This is the word of the Lord be to God. There's no denying death in this passage it's right there Death is real Death is something that often separates us from our loved ones. Death can be scary because it's full of unknowns. Death can come quickly and it can come violently. And that can bring a whole new set of challenges to us. Death can be a slowly emerging process that can take over a family's life. And that can be a whole new set of challenges also. None of us know when we're going to die. And actually, we'd all rather not think about it. And then, while we all know that we will die, we know it in our heads, we're going to die. We still procrastinate. Procrastinate about making plans about our funeral about our loved ones after we're gone, about our stuff. We procrastinate. We are, we are really good at living as if we're not going to die. We are. But Paul's point in writing here, as Jesus does all through the Gospels, is to focus not on death, but on life and living life with God even in the face of death. God's love holds us. That's the promise. God's light shines in our darkness. That's the promise. There's nothing that can separate us ever from God's love through Jesus Christ our Lord. That's the promise. So this is the framework for our living. We live in light of those promises. Whether we are vigorous and young, going to work and living and enjoying the summer markets and summer trips, or whether we're facing surgery and uncertainty, or whether we are in the final stages of our journey, we trust those promises. These promises intend to shape our lives. God's love holds us. God's light shines in the darkness. Nothing can separate us from God's love. These are the promises that shape our lives. Even though death comes to all of us, life is held by God. Even though we know death is part of life, death is the passageway really into God's full presence when God reigns in fullness. The great spiritual writer Thomas Merton gets right to the heart of this when he says, and I'm quoting, if you want to identify me, ask me not what I do. Ask me not where I live. Ask me not what I like to eat. Ask me not how I comb my hair. Ask me what I'm living for in detail. And ask me... What I think is keeping me from living fully for the thing I want to live for. God wants us to live even in the face of death because whether we live or whether we die, we belong to God. This passage in 1 Corinthians 15 continues. Listen to these words from Paul. What I'm saying, brothers and sisters, is this. Flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Listen, I will tell you a mystery. We will not all die, but we will all be changed in a moment, in a twinkling of the eye, at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound, and the dead will, raise, will be raised imperishable, and we will all be changed. For this perishable body must put on imperishability, and this mortal body must put on immortality. When this perishable body puts on imperishability and this mortal body puts on immortality, then the saying that is written will be fulfilled. Death is swallowed up in victory. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ which we heard sung so well just a moment ago. Thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, Paul continues, my beloved, be steadfast, be immovable, be always excelling in the work of the Lord because you know that your labor is never in vain. Flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom. When we die, we are enfolded into the fullness of God's presence. The perishable puts on imperishability. Life, not death, is what prevails. Thanks be to God through our Lord Jesus Christ. There's a story about Boston University. Boston University invited their oldest alum to come and give the commencement address for the seminary class, much to the chagrin of students who were not so interested in what the oldest living alum had to say, the day came and they draped this elderly man over the pulpit in the chapel. (laughs) He gazed out over the students and he said this, I would like to thank my alma mater for setting me free without setting me adrift. And he sat down. Isn't that what it's all about? When mystery is embraced, freedom is embraced. Those who live with the full confidence of God's love and promises can trust God even in the face of death. Those who remain hopeful about God's grace, those who remain receptive to God's loving arms, wrapping us all up and holding us forever, those who remain attentive to God's light, especially in the darkness, will know freedom and peace. This is what God intends for all of us. Death is real, but death has no sting. Death is swallowed up in victory, Paul proclaims, Handel puts to such great music. Death is swallowed up in victory. Whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord's. I'm inspired by the life and the grace and the courage and the calm of a person like John Shields, who had a deep sense that moving on from his pain and his suffering... He would be set free, not set adrift. I'm inspired by others who hear Paul's words and know that the dead will be raised imperishable and we will be changed. For this perishable body must put on imperishability and this mortal body must put on immortality. Thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. This news these promises about resurrection and life, victory over death, it's intended to inspire us, inspire us with how we live, today, tomorrow, forever. We and all people, we matter to God. We matter to the God of the universe so much that death has lost its sting. This news intends to make us more loving, more generous, more hopeful, more forgiving. God says, you matter. Death has lost its sting. God gets the last word, not death. And that news intends to empower us and embolden us with grace, with commitment, with calm to face whatever comes our way. Whatever comes our way. That news intends to make us the kind of loving, trusting, serving people of God. That's the point. Whether we live or whether we die, we belong to God. So let's live like that. Live like that. Today, tomorrow, forever. Because nothing can separate us from God's love. Amen. Let us pray. We believe, oh God, we do help our unbelief and cover us with your spirit so that we can live with faith and hope and love, especially in the face of death. Amen.